You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord We believe that Jesus is God incarnate. That he is God in flesh, the Son of God who shares in God's deity yet was born as a human being lived like us, got hungry and tired like us, got frustrated like us, was tempted like we are, but did not sin, so in that way he was different from us. He experienced joy and sorrow like we do, and he died as we do. He who was immortal became mortal for our sake. He was Emmanuel, as he's called in Scripture, which means God with us. He was God, yet became one of us. And as if all that weren't enough, after he died, God raised him from the dead. And when we think about how we as followers of Jesus should think about death, his resurrection makes all the difference. So this series we've been working through I call it do not fear, do not in parentheses, because there are some things God teaches us not to fear, but he also teaches us to fear him uh, with that reverential fear that honors God and that compels us to obey him, to follow his commands. So we've been looking at what God calls us to fear, what he calls us to not fear, and also how we should think about some of the scariest things in life, like the judgment, which we talked about two weeks ago. And the end of the world, which we talked about last week. And today, we'll talk about how we should think about death. I'd like to contrast the responses of two men in the Bible, both of whom had a sense that they were nearing their last days. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, so if you're uh, reading from your Bible... Just keep it handy. We're going to be moving around quite a bit. We'll have the scriptures up here on the screen too. Sometimes it's good to read it right out of your Bible. You see the context a little better. Uh, You can read on if you want to. Um, So I encourage you to use your Bible as well. First, let's look at Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hezekiah's story is in three places in the Old Testament. We'll look at it from Isaiah chapter 38, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now the story goes on to tell us that God heard uh, Hezekiah's prayer and extended his life 15 more years. But notice how Hezekiah's, no, notice Hezekiah's reaction to the news that his time is, is short. I mean, it's like a doctor coming and saying, this is terminal and here's how long we think you have left. The prophet Isaiah, whose word has been trustworthy, comes to Hezekiah and says, your time is short. Notice his Hezekiah's reaction, he wept bitterly. I'm not sure why, because Scripture doesn't explain it exactly, but I think we can make some guesses. Maybe he doesn't want to die. 
He's only about 39 years old at this time. Maybe he's worried about his nation, of which he is king. It's under threat from the Assyrian Empire at this time. And his son, the next king, is only about seven years old. Who's going to be there to lead the nation? Maybe he's afraid of death. The second man, the Apostle Paul, about 750 years later or so, a little more than that, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul had a sense that his departure was near, as he says it, that his time is short. And we think Paul was actually executed for his faith in Jesus not too long after he wrote these words. Notice how different his reaction is from the reaction of Hezekiah. Paul is ready. He's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. He's kept the faith. He's looking forward to his reward from God. Now, both of these men trusted in God. And I'll grant that Paul seems to have felt like his work on this earth was nearly finished, but Hezekiah still had a nation to defend and a son, the next king, to raise. And so their situations were very different. Maybe that's why they respond so differently to the news that their time is short. But I wonder if part of their differing responses to the coming of their deaths might have had to do with Jesus. Hezekiah lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. Paul lived after Jesus was born and lived and died and was raised from the dead. And he followed Jesus faithfully. And I imagine that it's just a lot easier to face death when you know that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, God knows, of course, that we are mortal. He's fully aware of that. He knows that until Jesus comes again, we live our whole lives knowing that we will die. How does God want us to think about death? Right at the very core of our faith is our claim that Jesus died, was buried, and then was raised from the dead, never to die again. And that in his resurrection, he conquered the power of death and gave us legitimate hope for eternal life. Listen to how the Apostle Paul writes about this in his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And by according to the Scriptures, I think he means this was prophesied. Scripture foretold it. Now it has come about. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, that's all the twelve apostles, 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Well, Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, to um, a very young church, only maybe about five years old at the most, a lot of new believers in that church. And apparently, some of these new believers in uh, the church in Corinth did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Corinth was a city in Greece. It's still there, a lot smaller today than it was in Paul's time. It's about an hour's drive west of Athens, still there today. A lot of these people apparently didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's not surprising. Most people in the ancient world did not believe in resurrection. Now, they believed in the afterlife, which is the spirit goes on, uh, continues to live, but the body is dead and it stays dead and it, it decays and so forth. Belief in resurrection, which is the body coming back to life, was almost unheard of. But belief that the dead will literally come back to life bodily is central to the Christian faith because Jesus came back to life, soul and body. When Paul wrote this letter, it had only been maybe 25 years or so since Jesus had died. So Paul says that Jesus died and was buried and was raised on the third day and appeared to a number of people, including Paul himself, most of whom, Paul says, were still living at the time when he wrote this letter. And so there were many still living who could act as witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus. They had seen him alive after his death and burial. Presumably the, the Corinthians might come across such a person or could seek out such a person and hear their testimony uh, personally. Personally. 
from an eyewitness? Some, though, Paul says in verse 6, had fallen asleep. You hear that, that terminology frequently in the New Testament when it talks about the death of God's people. We don't end when we die, but we rest, we sleep a while until the Lord wakes us up again. Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead, making Jesus, verse 20 says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In God's great harvest, Jesus is the first part of the harvest to be brought in. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Just as death entered the human race through Adam, the very first human being, so now resurrection enters the human race through Jesus. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But not right away, Paul says, but rather in verse 23, when Jesus comes for those who belong to him. Then the end will come, Paul says in verse 24, and every enemy of God will be destroyed. In verse 26, he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Scripture here calls death our enemy. And God, though he is very patient, will not put up with his enemies forever. One day, death itself will die, and it will be gone. Revelation chapter 20 pictures death and the realm of the dead as being thrown into the lake of fire at the great judgment. And they will be gone. So when we who follow Jesus, who was raised from the dead, think about death, we should think of it as temporary. For Jesus, death was temporary. He was the first to escape the power of death forever. The Bible records a few other people who God raised from the dead. Some Jesus himself raised from the dead. But they presumably lived out the rest of their lives and, and then died later. And we know of two people, Enoch and Elijah, both in the Old Testament part of the Bible, who did not die at all, but God took them straight to heaven. But Jesus died and then, and then came back from the dead, never to die again. For those who belong to Christ and pass from this life, God has promised to do the same for them as he did for Jesus. He will be, we will be raised from death to live forever. Death will no longer have any power over us. Death itself, our enemy, will be destroyed when Jesus comes again. This is why believing in the resurrection is so vital, so central to the Christian faith. It is our hope. Take it away and we have no hope. I've, I've told some of you before, in 2007, I had a, a bad week one week. I had an anxiety attack that lasted about three days. Those of you who have anxiety attacks sometimes, I can totally relate to you. That is not fun. I had, for those three days, I had very dark, fatalistic thoughts about how life was pointless because we're all just going to die and so everything we live for will be lost. But I had this one thought that kept coming back to me and doing battle with those, those dark broodings. And that one thought that kept coming back was, Jesus 
died too. But God raised him from the dead. Jesus died. We're all going to die. Jesus died too. But God raised him from the dead. And if Jesus died and survived it, then so can we. If we're faithful to God through Jesus our Lord. For God's people, death is temporary. This is what our hope in Christ is all about. In Christ, even if we die, we will live. As I said, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to a very new church, just a few years old. These believers still had a lot to learn about Jesus and apparently about the resurrection of the dead. Another of Paul's letters that we have to a very new church is 1 Thessalonians, written to the church in Thessalonica. It's another city in Greece. It's in northern Greece, still there today. Uh, And he wrote to this church when it was only between a few months and a couple of years old. So very new believers in this church. They were apparently concerned about what happens to believers who die before Jesus comes again. And so here's what Paul taught them. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul says at the beginning of this section, Uh, of his teaching, that he wants his readers not to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And at the end he says, therefore encourage one another with these words. Even in the face of death, we have hope. And our hope is this, verse 14, Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Again, death is is but sleep for God's people, temporary. And when Jesus comes again, his people who have died will be raised to life and brought to God along with him. So this is what Paul prophesies will happen. In verse 16, he says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven. There will be a loud command. The voice of the archangel will call out, and the trumpet of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise. This is why I said last week, Terry, that even the deaf will hear these sounds. If the dead hear them and rise from the dead at the Lord's command, then everyone will hear them. This will be a new kind of sound. Jesus says in John 5, verse 25, that a time is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus himself will call out and raise the dead by his command. 
And then Paul says in verses 16 and 17, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then after that, those believers who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And, and then we will all be with the Lord forever. That's when eternal life begins. And so believers who were separated when one of them passed away will be reunited when Jesus comes again. And all who follow Jesus will be alive with him forever. Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, so he will raise all who follow Jesus. Romans 6, verses 3 to 5, says that when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death, and we're buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. And then if we've been united with Christ in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection. And so our baptism, which represents our spiritual death to ourselves and our rebirth in Christ, acts out in advance the physical death and resurrection that is to come for all who follow Jesus. Now, what if you don't follow Jesus? Well, I don't want to talk about that today. <laughs> so I'll just refer you back to uh, the difficult lesson two weeks ago on how we should think about the judgment. But for those who follow Jesus, who have been united with him in death, his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, and who then continue to live in Christ for the glory of God, we have great hope and great encouragement. How should we think about death? With great hope. Death is scary. It's terrifying. Of course it is. We've never been through it before. It tears us away from the people we love and from the things that we've known since we became aware of our existence. Of course it's terrifying. But Jesus has been through it before. We never have, but he has. And by the power of God, he conquered death. And he has promised to raise all his people to eternal life when he comes again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that what is mortal about us will be clothed with immortality, which is exactly what God did for Jesus. His mortal body was made immortal. God will do the same also for us. So, of course, death is scary, but not like it used to be. We don't like to think about it. We don't look forward to it. And yet we can face it like Paul did, looking forward to his reward because we know what comes after we die. We rest from our labor in the Lord and then when Jesus comes again, we will be raised to live forever in new immortal bodies just like Jesus' immortal body in that new heaven and new earth that we read about last week. Now, I know this is an odd topic to speak on uh, on the Sunday before Christmas, when we traditionally reflect on the birth of Jesus our Lord, who, as I said at the beginning, is God incarnate, God in flesh, the Son of God who shares in God's deity, yet was born as a human being just like us, who lived like us, who even died as we do. So a question. Why was Jesus born as a human being? Why not just come down out of heaven as God? 
and speak to people and teach us and so forth? Why was Jesus born as a human being? What was the purpose behind him being born as flesh and blood like us? Listen to these words from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Since the children, meaning us human beings, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Why did Jesus become flesh and blood and share in our humanity? Well, according to Hebrews, one part of his purpose, at least, was that by his death, he might break the devil's power, the, the power of death, and set us free from the slavery that comes from our fear of death. Because, frankly, we're, we're afraid of dying. And that's totally understandable. And the devil tries to enslave us by keeping us afraid of dying, afraid of being gone, afraid of the experience of death, afraid of what might happen after death, afraid of not having fully lived. The devil tries to keep us enslaved through this, this fear, but Jesus broke the devil's power. How did he do that? By taking on flesh and blood, sharing in our, our humanity, living like we do, dying, and then defeating death from the inside out, from within the realm of the dead, and coming back to life, and then promising that what God did for him, God will do for everyone who follows him. And so Jesus was actually born as a human being to die as a human being in order to break the power of death from within death itself so that all the rest of us human beings can be set free from our fear of death and live freely and courageously for God. Kind of changes how we think about the story of Jesus' birth, right? When you think about a way in a manger, no crib for a bed, Little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Well, what's he doing there? He came to live as one of us and to die as one of us. He was, in fact, born to die and then to conquer death. And we've been singing this a long time. We just didn't necessarily realize it. It's like this. Sing this with me if you know it. And really focus on the words of verse 2. In your hymnal, it's number 1001. We'll have it up here on the screen also. Hark the herald angels sing glory
Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, laid his glory by. He left his glory in heaven with God. He was born as a human being that, no, that man no more may die. So he's breaking our fear of, of death, especially, you know, he's freeing us from spiritual death, most of all. He was born to raise the sons of earth. There's our, our resurrection. He's born to give them second birth, which is new life in Christ today, leading into eternal life tomorrow in, in the resurrection. This is why Jesus was born. And so we have this great hope beyond death and in spite of death. Jesus was born to die in order to break the power of the devil who holds the power of death so that we will no longer be enslaved to our fear of death. He died and rose from the dead, proving that there is such a thing as resurrection of the body, proving that God has ultimate power over death and can bring the dead back to life and can grant eternal life. And when he comes again, the dead will rise and those who belong to Jesus will meet him in the clouds and will be with him forever. So, how does all of that shape how we think about death? Well, first of all, death is still our enemy. Scripture calls it that. We don't like death. We don't like to think about it. It is scary, and that's okay. God understands that. The devil himself wields the power of death, and death is our enemy. But it's temporary. When Jesus comes again, he will destroy the power of death once and for all. He will raise the dead. Death is temporary. And so in spite of death and beyond death, we have great hope. When Jesus comes, all God's people will live again, and we will be with the Lord forever. In the meantime, death for God's people is merely sleep. It's a time for resting until Jesus comes again. And people always ask me, and I don't know if we'll be conscious or unconscious when we sleep in death. I suspect conscious. I think there's some hints of that in Scripture, but really Scripture isn't very clear about it one way or the other. And it doesn't matter much anyway. Either way, we'll be at rest and then when we wake, we will be with Jesus our Lord and with God our Creator forever in the new heavens and the new earth as we read about last week. So I don't know that God wants us to ever be comfortable with the idea of death. It is our enemy. It's God's enemy. He's going to defeat it. It's our enemy too if it's God's enemy. But he doesn't want our fear of death to enslave us anymore either. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God has set us free from the power of the devil who tries to make us so afraid of death that our fear would enslave us and keep us from living confidently for God. But through the resurrection of Jesus, we know what comes next for those who believe in him and follow him. And in that hope, we live. So I think it's okay if we weep like Hezekiah did, when we know our days are short, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Death is still our enemy until Jesus comes again. There's great sorrow in death. It's worth weeping over. Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, though he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. And yet we have hope. 
And so we don't grieve like people who have no hope. But rather we live in such a way as to be able to say with Paul, when that time comes, in the full hope that the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus brings us, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May God bless us that we would live in such a way as to be able to say such words when our time comes. May God bless you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we honor you and we thank you for recognizing how afraid we are of death. And me too. I am too. And we thank you, Lord, for caring about us so much uh, that you have been working um, since the first human sin to undo the power of death in our lives. Thank you so much for Jesus who did not uh, consider being God and being with God something to hold on to, but who made himself nothing and took on himself the nature of a servant, a human being, became an appearance like one of us, and who took on flesh and blood and humanity just, just as we have, so that he could live and die and defeat the power of death. Thank you, O oh God, for the power by which you raised him from the dead. And thank you for your promise that you will also raise all who come to you through Jesus. And so we pray, dear God, that you would give us courage in each of our days, that we may live wisely and well, walking in your ways. We pray, dear God, that we would always live with the courage that comes uh, from the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. We pray that you would continually uh, revive us, Lord, and, and break the power of death in our lives every day that we would uh, walk with you uh, without fear. We pray, dear God, that you would help us uh, to, um, to honor the sacrifice of Jesus uh, in our lives through um, living for your glory as he did. Help us this week, dear God, to courageously love our neighbors. Help us this week to courageously speak of you when we have the opportunity. Help us this week to courageously face the difficulties that are ahead of us, whether they be great or small. Help us this week, dear Lord, to remember your promise of resurrection to eternal life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your church, dear God. Let your blessing rest upon us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.